Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 474. And it's a bonus episode on a Friday again. I'm tempted to give you bonus episodes every week this month. I've not decided for certain, and I certainly haven't told my producer, Buddy P, who has to do all the heavy lifting if I was to do that. But he's hearing that for the first time, the same as you are. So, hey, Buddy Peace. <laughs> Hope you're good. Um, this week's bonus guest is Tom George. And kind of s- similar to Babak Anvari, it's perfectly t- timed, these two weeks of bonus guests, because they're both directors that I was just r- 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 raving about or praising in some way. And then it turns out we've either got some kind of history or they were into my music or whatever else. I'm really lucky. I'm getting into acting and writing and that at the right time because I'm now old enough for the people who were into me in their teens to be making careers in TV and film, (laughs) which is dope. I'll take it. I'll take it all day long. So, yeah, it's an interesting chat. I think you're going to really enjoy it. His journey has been amazing. And, yeah. Get your teeth into this. Before you do, obviously, we're brought to you by Speech Development where we've got all sorts of amazing merch. Patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pipio, where for just like a dollar or two a month, you can just throw some money in the kitty to help keep this podcast chugging along. And twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pipio, where you can come and watch me be a prat at least three times a week normally. And you can engage with me being a prat. Um, so yeah, head over to all of those things. But for now, this is a bonus Distraction Pieces podcast with the wonderful Tom George. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. Right, I'm here today with Tom George. How are you, man? I'm great, mate. Great to finally meet you. Yes, long last. I'm really excited to chat because we had a lovely little exchange in DMs a short while ago because I was basically fanboying out at you about everything and you were very nice about my music and stuff as well. So it's it always blows my mind when you're a fan of someone and then you really... I always forget, I don't know if, it's, if you're the same, I always forget I'm in any kind of arts or media so i'll be a fan of things and forget that people might also be a fan of me in some way so speaking of uh forgetting things and forgetting fans i did promise you i'd turn this fan off the minute we started recording <laughs> and uh and i've turned it on and it's still on there, there we go. go it's off now look at that live perfectly placed live mixed i love it we'll go with that ambience but yeah it was a nice little um exchange so and then a few weeks later here we are having a chat so i'm delighted yeah, totally. I mean, it's kind of weird, I think, that we haven't crossed paths at some other point, really, because obviously you started out in the music world yeah. and live performance world, and that was kind of where I started out on the filming side of things in right. in music. And, and then we've both been on that journey transitioning to kind of scripted work in different ways. Where were you doing the... Because, again, it, this is so weird because I, I chatted to... To, to Babak and Vari yesterday, who's another person who I was, oh, yeah. I was fanboying out about, and he messaged me going... I filmed you for MTV n- numerous times. You wouldn't have known because I was just the camera guy or whatever, but I was like, oh, shit. So, yeah, what was your live music? Yeah, I don't think I ever uh, had the pleasure of filming you. It was You were probably at your, doing most of your live stuff a little yeah. before 
I had sort of get, got into that yeah. kind of work. You're ahead of me, basically. So, so, but, so, um, so what were you doing? I so I was uh, lots of live music. So I filmed Glastonbury, the part stage at Glastonbury, six years running. Oh, um, so lots of BBC live live event stuff and the vast majority of it music. So I, I did the Mercury Prize one year. I didn't I love it. And stuff like the, the Radio 1 Teen Awards. Lots of stuff for Six Music, Six Music Live, these three sessions. So so lots of live multi-camera and, and some like music video work kind of alongside that. Um, so yeah, I kind of had this totally separate little career going on. And then you know what it's like, weirdly, in our industry, it's kind of hard to change lanes. Like, lots of the skills are totally transferable, and I always felt that. But weirdly, people know you for what they know you for, and making those little sideways steps into other areas is often quite difficult. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. It's a a blessing and a curse to have done well in another area, because as I said, it means that in one breath, that they know who you are or, or know of your work, but in another breath, you're Tom who does all the live stuff. I stopped telling music people. Stuff, r- rather than the scripted stuff or the or whatever else. Totally. I stopped telling people because yeah. people couldn't get their heads around you having these sort of two areas of interest. So I'd go into a and scripted Tom, meeting and I'd walk, like, talk Tom about George, live music. Tom yeah. George is a pretty vague name. <laughs> there could have been a few of you. You, you could easily get away with, oh, no, I'm you mean not that vague? One. Well, you know, it's, it's it's quite a it's it's it's, it's two it's, first names. I know what you're it's saying. Two first names, exactly. Just where's so the surname like... in that? I actually had a friend at, uh, <laughs> when I was when I was about fifteen, sixteen. There was a friend of ours who sort of came into the group from outside, and for about two years, she thought I had a double barrel first name, like it was Tom George, you know, Smith. Or Brilliant. Whatever. It's the curse. Have you it's got a curse. middle name? I've got a middle name. Can I hear it? You want to hear the full thing? Yeah. Thomas Mark McCallum George. Oh man, that's just that's a band. <laughs> like, you know when they do the band t-shirts and it's the three names John, Paul, Ringo, yeah, yeah, yeah. George yeah, that's, that's it. it, that's amazing yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you've got no middle name actually You've you've because there's nothing in the middle so that's the real I mean that's like my my nan's surname so. right okay it's as close as i get to a surname in the mix it's close i, I feel like we've digressed out. quite early here Scrooge. but yeah like- you, you know how these things go <laughs> but, but yes so in scripted meetings you kind of started just not not mentioning your experience just kind of going cold i wouldn't mention it it got to that point because people it would like spin people out they'd mm. be like oh right i thought i knew what box to put you in and now i'm a bit confused yeah. like what you're not putting your whole attention into this thing and it's weird because you think in the kind of creative world that so yeah. often people have got interests in different areas, haven't they? You know, whether you know, whether it be between music and acting or writing and art. But you know, I get it. You, you're in to meet people for a short amount of time, and they want to know who's this person. Yeah. What 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 could I potentially you know do with them? But yeah, so so I kind of had these two parallel secret lives going on, like the two yeah. for a long time. The two wouldn't mix. It's interesting, and I. I I like the kind of the place it almost mixed as such. It makes a, a sense now. I, I mean, before we go too on too many tangents, I of course do want to talk to you about yeah. your, your new film, see how they run, and I'm going to tease that chap by saying it stars Sam Rockwell, Saoirse Ronan, Tim Key, Charlie Cooper, Adrian Brody, Ruth Wilson, and basically everyone else good. But before that, let's talk about that kind of transition over to more scripted stuff because the thing that brought you to my attention as i mentioned in our dm was i was an early fan of this country yeah you were yeah. on it very early yes yeah. like, yeah. a series 
and when nobody was really paying much attention. And it, it, it makes sense now because the nature of it is it's shot like live. Do you know what I mean? So that feels like a really natural transition from f- f- filming live stuff where you would have just been having to catch what you catch. There's no, we'll go again, we'll go again. So that comes across nicely. But I'll, I always r- remember hearing people talk about The Office and say that when it came out, there was a load of people who didn't realise it was a documentary or didn't realise it was a comedy and thought it was a documentary. I always thought that was just bullshit and marketing spin. But that happened to me with this country. Amazing. So so me and my brother was staying up for a UFC event and a fight got pulled. So, so it was starting half an hour later. So I went up to the toilet, hit, 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 slung the TV on, I came back down and he was staring at the TV perplexed, going, you've got to say this. And it was Curtin on there having a chat. And I came down and was like, is this real? And we were literally, I mean, by the end of the episode, we knew it wasn't. But we did have a good bit of going, nah. That's great. That was something that I hoped, like, when we were making that first series and when we put it yeah. together, we, you know, we spoke about it out loud. Because I'd had that experience with the Spinal Tap film. The first time yeah. I had that sort of had never caught it first time around and late night TV sat down in the middle of it. And like you say, for that first five minutes, I was like, wait, but this isn't real, but it kind of feels so authentic that, that is it? Am I missing something? And I thought that that was exactly where we wanted to pitch the series. You know, if we could pull that trick and of course, once you sit through 10, 15, 20 minutes of an episode, you you get that it's a scripted show, but that felt like one of the aims was to like make it so you know, authentic as a documentary that you could pull that trick. So, um, yeah, well, I'm glad to glad to hear we got you. So, 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 what was the kind of development and journey of it? I think I've heard Charlie and Daisy talk a few times of it. Mm. At one point, going elsewhere and being really ripped away from from what it was meant to be, and then f- f- finding itself at the BBC. So, yeah, what was your experience and? A part of that journey, I guess. That's right. Daisy and Charlie had made a pilot for ITV, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, non-broadcast, but, you know, a proper full-on pilot they'd shot. And I think it, it just didn't go the way they wanted it to. They they were very young and inexperienced. And I think the people that they were making it with on the sort of producing side saw the show in a different way. And that's so often the problem, I think, when shows don't work or films don't work, it's where different members of that core team are trying to make different things, and I think that totally happened with them. So they'd yeah. made this pilot that had really veered away to being a sort of very mainstream ITV1 gang show, you know, so much so that even ITV didn't want it. So they passed <laughs> on it, and they'd been quite... Obviously, Daisy and Charlie had been incredibly, like, disappointed about that, and the BBC had agreed to commission a couple of scripts for the show that they wanted to do there were various complications because once you've made that pilot with one network it you, they have to get some of the money back if you're going to take it somewhere else so it was yeah, it was already yeah. quite a fraught situation for them but the bbc were willing to kind of like the idea and, and still believe particularly in daisy and charlie i think and i was at that point daisy charlie and i had the same agent in fact they joined the agent that i was with at the time and so i just knew about them and sort of had seen They'd made an earlier little teaser of what the... Before they'd made the ITV big pilot, they'd made this little scrappy teaser. And that was so clearly like the germ of something really amazing. 
Yeah. Because um, it was, again, very natural, very loose, quite whimsical and not about big plot. It was like those, you know, sort of um, making mountains out of out of molehills. So yeah, I um I'd seen this teaser and um and I also saw the ITV pilot and so I got to have a meeting with the producer who was just starting on this journey with them. They I think they had maybe like a draft of one script at the time. And he said, "Why don't you come in and do a cu- a couple of days story work with the three of us and let's see let's see how it goes." Like I think to be honest, when he met me, he was he, this the guy called Simon who went on to produce the show. He since told me that he was only meeting me out of a curtsy to the agent. But unfortunately <laughs> for him, we like kind of hit it off. And we saw the show the same way. We already had the same idea that it should be really naturalistic and really rooted in kind of truthful performances. Yeah. And so he said, look, come in, come and do a couple of days with us. We did that. It was fun. It went well. We were just sort of very early days of outlining episodes for the first series. And that was actually about a year before we shot the first series. And I always say now that looking back, that year we had together was kind of the key to everything because you don't get that in TV or film usually, you know, yeah. to to spend that amount of time together. And we 100%. were only able to do it because none of us had much on. Do you know what I mean? We, we weren't, yeah. we were sort of, we were all kind of starting out. But we yeah. had like that time to really figure out what the show was and and what our kind of reference points were and what the tone of it should be and how it should function so that by the time we came to shoot that first series we were really working in the fine details. There was no debating about what it was we were trying to do. Yeah. And so you're working in those 97, 98, 99% details. And that's where we all want to be working, really. I think yeah. it's like we've all been on things where you're just, whether it, whatever the creative project might be, where you're just trying to make it all right or just trying to make decisions that make it acceptable to you or, or palatable to you. But where you want to be is like, you know, 90% of it is great you're really happy yeah. with it now you can really hone it and work in the details and, and that was like the joy of of that first series and again i think that time probably particularly from early kind of teaser video through the unsuccessful attempts of itv to you guys having a year to work in it it must have just honed those characters so well and there's something so exciting when a character comes on screen and they just work and you believe them. And I think Charlie and Daisy's characters in this are exactly that. They make me think of, like, I always said Brian Gittins is a character who he could just do a video of him reading the phone book and I'd be pissing myself. Totally. You look at a a, a, a Brent or a Partridge or whomever else, Mobin in Man Like Mobin, again, there are all these characters that, that you're like, right, you could effectively do an episode where nothing happens and it will still be really enjoyable you know we'll still get it totally and and you know people say things like oh comedy is character and I never really understood what that meant to be honest like because I you know you think well no comedy's like jokes and like funny stories and tales but yeah I think what I've figured out through making this country is that when you've got those characters and they're so detailed and three-dimensional and nuanced, the comedy just flows out of them. You don't need to force things, you know, at all. It's like you just put them in a situation and you you you, you can answer, like, really truthfully, like, well, well, what would they do in that situation? And that was exactly what you're saying. It's like Daisy knew that Kerry character inside out. Charlie had that time to sort of find the curtain character. And then I think the, the big extra element was when we cast Paul Chahidi as the vicar. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because up until that point, we, we basically completely rewrote that character once we found Paul Shahidi. Right, yeah. Because it, up to that point, the vicar was quite a sort of author, bog-standard authoritarian figure who would tell, he'd set boundaries and they'd break right. it. And they'd sort yeah, of yeah, always yeah. at each other's throats. And Paul just brought this sort of warmth. I mean, he's yeah. so nice as a yeah. human being like that it, it just fed that character and it really made sense of the whole thing because it was like, oh, I now see why they're hanging out together, why they're spending time together. It's On the one hand, it's because he really, you know, believes in them and kind of thinks he can help them or, or hopes he can. Yeah. And they, you know, for all they push against him or, or, you know, slag him off, or, you know, talk about his ball bag or whatever, <laughs> it's like they... They like that. They're getting that sort of nurturing attention that they haven't had probably from anyone yeah, else. Yeah, it's and the so attentiveness. Had this, said, like, it's someone it, that really cares. Totally. And up until that point, it was sort of like, well, hold on, this is Vicar who's always telling them what to do and they're always ignoring him and slagging him off. It's like, why are they? Surely they stopped turning up at his office, you know? Yeah. So it totally made sense of the whole dynamic between them. And, and Daisy and Charlie went away and wrote more for Paul once we cast him and the whole tone of their relationship sort of change and even as we shot the first series we were trying to write more and more for for Paul to just have more and more of the vicar and in the end the, the great gift of the, of the mockumentary is you can do it in talking heads so we recorded basically a couple of like mark, yeah. what they call master interviews in documentaries we did that kind of for real where we did like a couple of half hour interviews with the vicar and just asked him all about the different things that had happened across the series and then we were able to use it sort of at different moments throughout and just really feel like he was that third part of the triangle. And um, yeah, perfect. so, you know, and, and he was such a great anchor for all of us because he's, he's such a brilliant actor and also unlike the rest of us was experienced, you know, and he yeah. set yeah. such a great example, you know, for being on set, being on time, knowing your lines, the obvious stuff, but also then being really open to things changing, open to improv emerging and, um, and just, you know, he just cared so much about it that he just set such a lovely tone for us on set or really helped with that. And the the beauty, I think, of having those characters and having that time, having those characters and those relationships between th those three characters in particular, but kind of everyone as well, and having that time to punch up those last few percent, it meant it was one of those sh shows that me and my brother and me and my mate Natasha... It, are waiting for the other two have finished watching the latest episode to text our favourite bits, our favourite moments. And there's just, yeah, I've got endless t t uh, text messages of these <laughs> these particular lines or these particular bits that just, yeah, absolutely d destroyed us. It's that stuff that's so special because, yeah. you know, that's how I watch comedy and that's how I would talk with my friends about things like Peep Show or... Garth yeah. Marenghi or Alan Partridge 100%. or Mighty Boosh, yeah. whatever those things were, you know, you talk about them and you watch them with such a detailed eye for them. Do you know what I mean? You pick up on yeah. things and, and tiny things become in jokes or things that you reference among among your friends. Yeah. And like it was it's it still like just blows my mind that people watch this country in that in that same way. It's just like total dream. I, I still live in the same a small town I've always lived in, and the amount of times I'm in a situation where I think to myself, "I'm Tony from Hollyoaks," which is 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 is, is, is one of the, <laughs> the references used in this country that just absolutely destroyed me. Yeah, but yeah. Well, I mean, like, Daisy and Charlie just have such a great ear for dialogue. That's their like 
great gift, really. And, you know, they just got that ear for the spoken word and, and just things that, that they, they understand how people talk. And the great thing about that was, you know, I always get asked how much imp- improv or improvisation was in, um, was in this country. And the, the answer is actually probably quite a lot less than you imagine. It's just that their written dialogue is so, has that, that immediacy and just feels so, like, authentic. Oh, they know the characters so well. I think that's a massive thing yeah. with, and we're seeing more of it now. You can can look at almost everything Michaela Cole does. Yeah. You can look at Atlanta, and you can. It's these shows where love Atlanta. They're trusting an artist or artists to r- write and play these roles, and it means that they know it. It's real. It's 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 so it flows so naturally because it's not someone else writing for you if you know what i mean it's is it, it has that authenticity and i think that that rings out in this country so i mean how was it to maintain the quality and that authenticity as it got b- bigger and b- bigger and started winning awards i know from the music world your first hit is a hundred percent you and then after that yeah. there's labels and also a radio pluggers and whomever else kind of going well maybe if you tweak this slightly or or this or that and it's it's not always easy to ignore all of those those voices so i think you you guys maintain that quality so how was that as a as a a battle i guess well you've got also got the challenge of your own expectations i think you know it's like you you we made that first series i think we shot the principal photography for it in 17 days for six episodes it was like the Definitely the lowest budget sort of half hour sitcom the BBC had ever made at that point. Mm-hmm. And what that meant, the first series, we, we also had a sort of exec who moved on and it kind of fell between the cracks a little bit. And so we were very much left alone to make this thing that was low stakes for everyone and, and no one had great expectations for, which was amazing. I will say, you know, the BBC was super supportive once they found that they liked it and that it started to have a bit of success and it wasn't like the first series went crazy but it built a nice word of mouth audience but by that time I suppose we kind of won their trust and they were like cool you know you know what you're doing so I would I'd say they didn't try and stick their oar in too much but for me the bigger thing is you've got your own expectations you're like can we repeat that what were we doing we didn't know what we were doing and so definitely going into that second series and in fact in some ways that's the second series ultimately and and what followed was more satisfying because you can never recreate that first kiss, right? It's that sort yeah. of magic time of like in a creative process where everything just came together a, 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 across those sort of four weeks or so we were working together in the Cotswolds. And then you're like, what did, how did we do that? Can we possibly repeat that? And you don't want to yeah, start. Was that fluke, imposter syndrome, all that kind of thing. All of that stuff. And, and you know, you like, you don't want to start repeating yourself. You don't want to overthink it too much. You don't, you know, so those were the, would, that was probably the most stressful time was like, you know, was that just a fluke or can we repeat the trick? And actually when we, when the second series came out and it felt like it was equally well received by the audience and, and in some ways had developed on certain themes yeah. um, and become a little more nuanced, uh, even as it went, that was really satisfying. So it's like, cool, we can, we can continue to like evolve this and keep it, keep it interesting and not just sort of replay the same, um, the same old trick. Well, Speaking of satisfying, how's it been watching Daisy May Cooper just become the nation's sweetheart via Instagram, Taskmaster, Buzzcocks and various other things? It must be 
lovely to see, right? Because as you said, at that point when you all met and started on this, none of you had really done much before, in this world anyway. Totally. So she's she's completely just excelled and grown and grown, right? And been embraced. I'm so happy for her because I think a large part of why Daisy wrote this country was because she wanted to act. And she came out of drama school and wasn't a sort of obvious casting for lots of roles and couldn't get in the room for stuff. And, you know, so she she made the show because she, you know, wanted to work as a performer. And, of course, is a brilliant writer and, and that, you know, that all came through through the making of it. But to now see her have all those opportunities and just be able to kind of shape the career that she wants, it's like... Yeah, really special. And for everyone like involved in the show really at that certainly yeah. the core team, it's one of the like the the gifts that keep on giving of it is that everyone's had opportunities come, you know, across their path that they wouldn't have had without the series. And and so it's great to see, you know, from Daisy and Charlie and, and again Paul Chahidi and um and Simon Mayhew Archer, the producer, we've all and myself, we've all, you know, it's it's kind of been a just an amazing thing, an amazing thing to be a part of to to make something with people who became such good friends was like a total joy. And then, you know, for there to be like the echoes of like, you know, benefits and opportunities, it's just so, so lovely. Speaking of opportunities then, (laughs) as you know, this country is one of my favourite shows of all time, but even with that given, how the (laughs) fuck do you go from a BBC reality-based sitcom, a cult classic sitcom, to see how they run with multiple Oscar winners. Like Sam Rockwell is one of my favourite actors of all time. Saoirse is one of the hottest actors in the world at the moment. Ruth Wilson, all of these amazing people. How's this happened, man? Like I've I've spoken about it in a previous episode, just saying how I love (laughs) being shit like this. Because it's like, this is a proper blockbuster cast and and film, and it's your debut. Yeah. How's how's that happened? How's it been? (laughs) I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. Um, yeah, it's nuts. I mean, it's it's totally nuts. I, to be honest, I got to meet for the film. Like they sent me the script. Searchlight sent me the script. Mm-hmm. I get off the back of this country, and you know, and liking that and understanding that it was a character comedy at the heart of this big sort of period murder mystery. But I went in for the meeting, and I was like, you know, sometimes you have meetings where you know you're not going to get this. But if you do a good meeting, then you're on their minds and maybe the next slightly smaller thing that comes up, they think, oh, maybe he'd be right for that. And so I went in with totally that that energy. And and again, sometimes that that energy is good energy, right? It's like, like I'm not stressed because I know this isn't going to be me. So I'll just speak, you know, speak to it how I would do it. And so I read the script. I really liked the script, but I also had kind of clear ideas about what, I thought needed to change in the in the script as it was and how I'd sort of approach that with the writer and just and did a good meeting I suppose but again was like cool that was a good meeting and then they asked me to like put together a a kind of treatment a a sort of creative visual you know document for how I might do the film I was like great I'd love to do that did that for them then had another meeting it was like okay this is actually I'm sort of I've hung around in the room for like for longer than I thought here yeah and Within a couple of weeks, I was. They were like, "Okay, you know." It was clear I was down to the last couple of people. I suppose you know, you never know for sure. But it's like they were still. I was still having meetings, so they mm-hmm. they said, "Look, you got to pitch. You know, 
to the guys in America, the, the, the two guys who run the studio. So I did that, pitching over the phone. Mate. Not, not ideal. Um, yeah, just the sound that. of my nasal voice for 20 minutes. Very little feedback. But I got to the end of that and was like, look, that went as well as it could have gone. I said everything I wanted to say, came out reasonably fluently. So it is what it is now. And my wife had actually gone across the road to the cafe across the road from us because I was like, you can't, you can't be in the house while I'm doing this. It's already too stressful. Yeah. Um, so by the time, so I was going across to meet her and let her know it went. By the time I got downstairs, crossed over the road, I got a call and it was from the producer saying, we've all decided we want you to do it. And it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, totally mad. Totally mad. But the thing is, it being a film, that doesn't necessarily mean it's happening. You know, in a TV show, usually it's commissioned first, it's up and running, they hire mm-hmm. a director and you get the job and then you know, cool, we're actually doing this. In a film, it's very different. You get attached as a director to the project, but until you see which cast you can maybe attach to the project um, and how the script evolves through those kind of final few drafts, it's not green lit. It's like a sort of, you, you, you're kind of in a development phase. So... Um, so then it was it was kind of on to on to costing. And then two weeks after I'd got attached to the film, the first lockdown happened. And right. so, so at that point I was like, well, okay, we're not gonna make that film. That's never gonna happen. I was gonna say this has to have been pre-lockdown if you were having phone meetings rather than Zoom meetings. It's like surely you'd pitch over Zoom rather than <laughs> rather than over the phone. But it was it's before that became a normal thing now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's so true. It's now so normalized, isn't it? Totally. Um, yeah. yeah, so it was just sense. before. This was kind of February, January, February 2020. The last series of this country was going out, just finished that. And and at that point, I was pitching and then got attached to the film. And then the lockdown happened. And I thought, you know, it would probably get shelved at that point, to be perfectly honest, because yeah. everything was so up in the air and productions were getting shut down all over the place. But Searchlight were brilliant. And they said, look, we want to use this time to finesse the script and for you to work with the writer, Mark Chappell, to, you know, to do another couple of drafts with him. And um, and also to get into some early casting, and really yeah. that was kind of the, the I think the the key to whether it was going to go into production was like which actors, which cast could we get who's in you know yeah. to do the project. Well, I mean, before we get into the cast and whatnot, we should kind of explain it's mm. essentially it's a, cl- a a classic murder mystery kind of set inside a classic murder mystery as yes. such. It's 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 a murder mystery that happens. It's a period, as you say, it's a murder mystery that happens in the theatre of the mousetrap yeah. being played. So on the casting front, I've made a note, and it's the thing I've underlined the most in my notes, because the most important thing of us having this conversation is that I thank you for creating a world in which Sam Rockwell and Tim Key are opposite each other <laughs> on the big screen multiple times, because... You're That's mind blowing. Tim, I think is <laughs> Tim is one of the greats. He's he's one of my favourites. And as I've said, I, Sam is someone I st- study so carefully because, as an actor, he's someone you just want to. He's got as you mentioned all the all the all the nuances in writing earlier. The nuances in character, Sam Rockwell is just next level. So totally. how was it to start putting together? That team, because it's not necessarily an obvious one for no. for Sam and for Sersha, for for both of those two, where they are, but both Oscar winners, both serious actors, kind of thing, or respected, they're not obvious. Well, obvious it's funny that you picked up on that uh, Sam and Tim sort of combo because that for yeah. me is the like one of the things I'm most satisfied about with the film is on the one hand you've got these film these Hollywood actors, you know. Saoirse Ronan, Sam Rockwell, Adrian Brody, David Yellowo, Ruth Wilson, 
but alongside some of my kind of comedy heroes, British comedy heroes, so Tim Key, Reese Shearsmith, um, Charlie Cooper. Charlie and Paul. Sean yeah. Clifford, Paul Chahidi's in it, you know. Yeah. And to see those two quite different groups come together and really feel like an ensemble that's exists in the same world and is kind of pulling yeah. in the same direction is so satisfying. I think Sersha's performance is absolutely key to that. Totally. Sersha felt like the, the bridge between those two worlds very much because her yeah, character that's, that's is quite so true. comedy and quite, um, yeah, qu- quite so low-key, I guess. Yeah, but I hadn't yeah, thought of it that way, but it's so, totally true. So Sersha was the first person who came on board to do the film. and Amazing. She was number one on our list of people who we wanted to play Stalker, and so we, we offered it to her, sent her the script, and... I gather this never really happens, but, you know, the, the first person on the list said yes and was, like, super up for it. And, you know, really it came down to the script, I think, which already was, like, you know, it was so clear what it was doing and, and you know, its ability to both hold a murder mystery but also a comedy and to hold those two yeah. tones carefully together because that's a tricky balancing act in its own right. Yeah, but Mark it's a smart script, a, isn't it? I can yeah. completely see how it's the kind of script that you get as an actor and go, oh, this all, this all, I, I, I don't have to imagine too much here. You know, this, this, this comes together. Totally. And if you, because if you go too far towards the comedy, it becomes an out and out spoof. And it's not yeah. a spoof of murder mysteries. It, it, no. It's got elements of homage and a meta element, as you say, in it, in as, in as much as it's a, a murder mystery that's also about murder mysteries. But it's also, yeah. first and foremost, a character comedy. That's underneath the murder mystery, I think. Yeah. So Sersha loved the script and fortunately was a fan of this country. We so she agreed to, you know, meet me this time I was by now we were into Zoom, so um, yeah. no no more awkward phone calls. So we had a great we just chatted for a couple of hours about the script and the character and just hit it off straight away and I think understood tonally where it should sit and what the balance of like that comedy and dramatic elements should be and just we share a sort of without sounding too like a director like sort of share a kind of process we like to work in the same way we like you know we like things to be like uh, have a looseness you know you can see it in her performances you know it's like she's understated and brilliant in almost everything she does and I think she felt like this was a new thing for her. And in some ways it, it is because it's a sort of out and out comedy. But I'd seen the work she'd done in things like Lady Bird, where she mm-hmm. was like brilliantly funny in that. And so I felt really confident from the start that, that she'd be great in it. But yeah, yeah it's exciting because I think it's a new side of her for audiences to see. And yeah. not the least because she does her own accent. She said yeah. to me a couple of weeks ago, she was like, you know, the big reveal of this film is going to be that I'm Irish. Because <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> everyone same. thinks, oh, right. Oh, I thought you were American or maybe English or whatever. English, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's great to hear. And that was her idea. It was originally written for a sort of London, you know, sort of accent. Yeah. Um, but in our first conversation, she was like, I really would like to play this in my own accent. And I'm always about you know, trying to bring as little acting as possible to things, and particularly in comedy, in particular where you want to have moments of improv or looseness to things. And the idea of, you know, of her doing it as a, playing the role as a sort of um, expat Irish, young Irish woman living in London in the 50s was like, yeah, I'm totally, totally into that. I was going to say, it's a it's a brilliant extra bit of, of exposition because you're constantly reminded that she, she is the the new one here mm. and, and, and all these things purely because of her accent. So it's it totally a really good bit of shorthand in there. That, yeah. Completely, yeah. 
Completely. So speaking of accents, I wasn't expecting Mr. Rockwell to be from uh, <laughs> from England. Seeing yeah. the poster and whatnot, I, I ramble on about this in the podcast a lot, but I avoid trailers as much as I can because yes, most films I've read Have you about seen in the advance, film? I know I want to see. I've seen the film, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. I loved it. I loved it. And I said Accent? it was it was it, yeah, I thought it was flawless. I was great. I was ready. But he's he's that good. He he's is that good. It started, I was like, oh wow. I wasn't expecting him to have an English accent. And it's tricky as well because it's not like a kind of strong flavour of a London accent no. either. It's like, you know, usually for American actors, if they're doing it, you know, there's an RP thing at one end of the spectrum. Well, there's a sort of yeah. East End Barrow Boy at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. And we and we were sort of like, look, he's it was somewhere in the middle of that. And that's sometimes those middle accents, the less strong flavours are the harder ones to hit. Mate, I've got this m- middle accent and I've had to learn that when the camera starts rolling, n- n- not to go more Cockney or more or more RP because you're so y- used to it on screen. Totally. It's, they're totally. the acting voices. So I've had numerous uh, uh, self-tapes where I've watched it back and gone, I need to, to do that again because when I was practising it... <laughs> It was my voice. As soon as I started rolling, I'm like, "All right, bruv, uh, all right, kind of, I've gone, I've yeah. gone far more cockney." It's than weird. I am. Those things are so strong. In fact, I talked about that during rehearsals for the film. Yeah, especially it being a period film. So it's set in 1953, mm-hmm. and it's set in the world of London's West End theatre, as you know, you've seen it. And that is that sort of you know upper class showbiz world of the 1950s is a world that we've seen so many times in different ways through, you know, film and TV and books. And one thing I talked to the cast about was, like, not playing the period. Like, I don't Mm. want the performances to play a sort of version that you already have in your mind through all these other versions of how people spoke in the period, how people acted in the period, and trying to get some of that, you know, to keep it with a contemporary performance thread kind of running through it. Because the whole film had that. And, again, it all comes from the script, as it always does for me, which is... It was clear from the first time I read it. It's set in 1953, but it only works this um, this script um, if it's you know from a contemporary viewpoint. It only works if yeah. you know that the mousetrap's been running for 70 years. If you know about the history of murder mysteries and the various tropes that they sort of yeah, utilise, and if you know about things like film noir and and um, uh, you know different eras of cinema, and so it was clear that it had to have that tension of being set in a period world, but having a very sort of contemporary thread running through it and I always felt like performance was a place to get that to ki- to keep a sort of contemporary performance style and not let everything become too arch too theatrical too clipped um, yeah. in that way that that we've seen so many times but they're so powerful those things we've we've watched before because it's, it's all in there isn't it a hundred percent the first acting role I ever got was an, an FX sh- sh- show called The Bastard Executioner and the feedback I got was the reason I got it was because it's it was set in like the 1800s or whatever and it was f- filmed in England and it meant everyone who auditioned was a drama school kid doing their Shakespeare voice yeah and because I was there with no experience and the casting a, a director Amy Amy Hubbard was amazing because they just kind of said, "Look, just chill on that. Like, just do it in your voice. Don't don't mm. put on this. Here's your Shakespeare voice, and that's it. It makes all the difference. I think you're completely right. This is a period piece, but because of the the the, the meta moments within it, it's aware yeah. the year in which we're watching it as such. If, if you know what I mean, we know when the where the audience is. So, yeah." Yeah, so, you know, Sam did a brilliant job and was, like, a total 
joy to have over here. And, you know, we were making it a difficult time. It was lockdown, third lockdown, Mm -hmm. um, early 2021, we were shooting it. But as you touched on earlier, what he brings, you know, because he's kind of the straight man in that partnership, although that starts to unravel a little bit as the film goes on. But in in a comic sense... Um, he's kind of this, often playing the straight man to Saoirse's uh, character. Yeah. But what he... And he, I think in other hands that could be a little generic, but he just finds detail and nuance and and stuff that you hadn't expected, you know. He, he, likes, he likes to bring a bit of kind of organised chaos to his performances and, and I think it's just like added like texture and detail to that character and made it, you know, really special. And then as a partnership, it's just so great to have them on screen together. Like one of the things you know you'll notice when you do when other people see the film is like use a lot of two shots. You know that very very few close ups of characters. Lots of two shots. Lots of group shots, ensemble Mm -hmm. shots of different characters together. And particularly for Sam and Saoirse, it was just so clear that putting them in a frame together would be magic. You know, and I always love that thing, particularly in comedy where you don't lead the audience by the hand too much. Again, you see that in this country, you know. What I love is, you know, you show them a frame and you don't overcut it, you, you know, you, you and you maybe play it in, you know, in group shots or in two shots, whatever. And then you get to watch both the person saying the funny thing and also the person reacting to them and also maybe find something else that amuses you that nobody else has found. That That's always, like, the most rewarding watch for me is, like when you can find the thing that you find funny in it rather than yeah. cut to close-up, here's the line, cut to the weird reaction, cut to the close-up, here's the line, you know. There's a place for that, It's but it's just a different... And, you, and you've got a couple of actors there who are going to be putting in those moments, those those nuances as well. Well, I mean, we're about to, uh, to, uh, to run out of time, but before we do, there's two things I want to ask. One we'll end on is is what's ahead. But before we get to that, how great was it to bring... Charlie and Paul along with you on this journey and have them as key parts of it that uh, uh, do you know what I mean it's it's not a kind of I've got this big film I'm bringing a couple of my mates along from back in the day it's like no I'm improving this film with these amazing people who I happen to have have been on a whole journey with yeah I it was amazing and like having them both there was was a big you know, reassurance to me in some ways. It also, you know, you've worked with a couple of people, and you know, in this case, actors for four years. Yeah. They can be a really great help in helping the rest of the cast to key into what you're trying to do in a performance yeah. sense, you know? So, um, so that was definitely a help, but also I, you know, I kind of love that idea of having a slightly, you know, shifting ensemble in, you know, the, the, the things that I make, you know? And, yeah. and so, to have people kind of coming with me from one thing into another and mixing with other, with these other amazing actors was, was something that was just exciting. And, and, you know, above all, I just knew how brilliant they are and what they bring to those particular roles. And in both cases, something very different to what we've seen before in, um, in this country. I love it. So, so what is ahead? Cause as we've established, you kind of made your name in live performance, filming um and then again in tv in numerous areas in in tv but this is your debut feature film you've got an old of our poster in the background 
film yeah. is film is is the one like, like again for, for me personally i've loved getting to do tv i think tv has changed completely in mm. recent years of what can be done but still there's that extra little bit of excitement of film i love i love films so, so what's your thoughts going forward now you've got your your debut feature under your belt yeah definitely i I, you know, it's so exciting to make a film and to get to live with one story, you know, for for an extended period of time and have that opportunity to kind of really work into it. In in TV, you're always under the under on the de- on a deadline. You know, you you never have quite as much time, both shooting, particularly in the edit. You know, so it was amazing to to have that. Although I think deadlines are useful things. It's like you can definitely have too yeah. much time. But, um, but getting to live with a single story for that length of time was was really I really enjoyed and was really satisfying. Definitely something I want to do more of. But I've always felt that you know it's about the story. It's that it's, certain stories are meant to be told in ninety minutes, two hours. Certain stories are better off told as ten half hours or ten hours. So I'm not sniffy about anything. It's like I want to keep working across TV and film, and it'll always be um, the stories and the characters. That, uh, yeah. that that sort of appealed to me most. I think, you know, I imagine my things will always have funny bones or kinks in them or something, some yeah. sort of twist on things. I can't imagine just doing a sort of straight ahead drama or a straight ahead thriller. You know, I like those things where tones are mixing in uneasy ways and and trying to get that to to balance. And um, you know, so you know, I'd love to um, keep working across both mediums really. And I've got to, things in development across both sides mark chapel and i mark who wrote the who wrote see how they run uh mm-hmm. co-writing a, a new film together which is about um local corruption in a in a small town in england so i'd love to you know just uh, i'd love to keep making things with great characters at, at the heart of them really the comedy that's available in small town corruption because of a zoom now and all of the different council zoom calls that blew up over the over yes, the pandemic that's is, so uh, true. is it's, there's so much to be mind in those beautiful worlds. Well, thank you very much for taking the time, man. I'm glad we got to sit down and have a chat. Hey, it's such a pleasure. It's like gone so quickly. I wish we had more time. Flown by. We'll do it again, I'm sure. Yeah, nice one. Well, nice one. Have a good one. All right. Cheers, group. Take it easy. We'll talk soon. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. I've realised, buddy, I was playing with a um, my earphone, so there might be little clips all the way along, or little pops in the in the background there. If there was, I mean, l- this is now the outro. Just keep this all in, buddy. If there was, l- listener, I want you to know that was not Buddy Pieces' fault. That was me being a fiddler. Anyway. That was a bonus episode with Tom George there. I hope you enjoyed it. I think his story's amazing, and I can't wait to see all that's ahead. His trajectory so far is ridiculous. So um, what is is next? Just I cannot even imagine. But what is next for you guys is another Distraction Pieces podcast next Wednesday. So tune in as ever on Wednesday. I think we're coming up to either the eight- or nine-year anniversary. Mad! madness um i think that's in a few weeks anyway appreciate any of you who have been listening all the way along and anyone who's listening now right at the end 
of a Friday bonus episode. So big love to you. Have an extra lovely weekend. And I'll see you next week. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.